welcome to the Plebeian Power Hour with your hosts, Tipper and Kim. Today we're going to be picking up kind of where we left off last time, talking about China and kind of the history of U.S.-China relations. And last time we kind of made it up to World War II, and we talked a little bit uh, about that and about how uh, at the end, you know, the U.S. is over there, uh, you know, mostly they're over in China to accept the surrender of Japan. Russia's over in the Manchuria area. They came in and helped out on, you know, attacking Japan, and they were holding the Manchuria area. And so that's kind of where we had left off. So you do have uh, the end of World War II. you got U.S. over the... Uh, they've got 50,000 troops over in China to help out with the surrender of Japan, and Russia has... Uh, many troops over in Manchuria. You know, just to start off, I'm going to tell you an interesting fact that I found out while I was doing this. Um, the division between North and South Korea happened at this time. Yes. Where they made a arbitrary random line and said, anybody south of this line has to surrender to the United States, and anybody north of this line has to surrender to the USSR. And, and all that sort of thing kind of happens on the sly. So initially, I think Russia starts moving down into Korea, and so the U.S. starts moving up into Korea. So then they see, and then they make that agreement. So the agreement kind of happens, but initially it's all kind of sneakily done. Sneak it's like we can, we can sneak in there and kind of take this territory, and the U.S. sees that Russia's doing that, so the U.S. sends. Then they kind of realize, so they make that, Thirty-eighth uh, parallel, parallel sort of thing. Uh huh. And and you know what's really interesting is that is what causes problems in the future with the United States is is when they have any issues with that parallel. For some reason, China gets really upset about this because they're afraid that once America crosses that parallel, they're headed to China. So you'll you'll see maybe if we get to it. And if you do your own research, you'll see that that becomes a really tentative place. Yeah, you'll find we're going to have to, we got a lot to cover, so there are things that we may not get to. As always. One of the first things that I wanted to get to is after uh, World War II, the the U.S. is kind of worried about the um, communists, essentially the civil war that's going on between the communists and the Kuomintang. And that was going on before the World Kuomintang? War II. The, they, those are the national, nationalists. They're the ones who are currently in power. They're the Republic of China. Mm. So, so in China right now, you have a government that is not communist. It is not flipped over at this point. And, and it is not a democracy either. No, it's a weird it, It's essentially thing. kind of a dictatorship <laughs> sort of thing. And, and it's not even... They don't fully run things because, like we were saying previously, there's kind of a warlord situation going on where you have these uh, kind of territories in China that are essentially run by these warlords. So you have this central government, the Kuomintang, and they run things, but these warlords have the power in these areas. They did come together with more of a central government right at about the time... And, like as the war is breaking and, uh, out. I was going to say, World War II changed a lot of things because you end up with this kind of common enemy, Japan, comes in. Uh, 
the communists were full-on fighting against Japan. The nationalists, the Kuomintang, were fighting against Japan, but they still had a, a grudge against the communists. So you have the end of the war. The U.S. tries to play peacemaker. And the yes. U.S. <laughs> brings, you know, the, they essentially... Oh, do you know why they did? Because there is the wife of Chiang Kai-shek, who was kind of the leader he of the, the Republican leader, yeah. Republic of China. And her, her name is Madame Zhang Jiaxi, and she was educated in America. So she went to college in the United States, in Massachusetts. And so he would send her over to talk to the government about, you know, the things that they needed or whatever. And America loved her. And so they, when, when it came to America trying to come in, it is because this, this lady had asked them to. Well, one of the things that's interesting is the U.S. goes to this, they, they bring the two parties to the table, and the U.S. accompanies Chairman Mao. And, and a lot of that is for his safety. I was going to say, because they really like Chiang Kai-shek. So they're worried that Chairman Mao will be killed by this group because they are in a civil war. Uh-huh. So they accompany Chairman Mao to this thing, essentially to offer him safety. Now I'm going to interrupt and interject one more piece of information that I think is factually relevant for the rest of the history of China. After World War II, and because they liked um, the leader of China's wife, and she came to the, you know, talk to the government about all of the things during the war, they decided to make China a major power in the talks. Yeah. So this is kind of where China shifts into becoming a major power because they are included in a lot of and, diplomatic and like you said, things. It's the U.S. pushing this. Other countries like Britain and they they don't want to well, bring that's China because, to the table because America liked Zheng Jiaxi. <laughs> and if they didn't, they probably wouldn't have been invited to the table. But it was it was really interesting. Um, and about this time too. Oh, I already talked about the 39th parallel. Well, let me finish this. Let's the, do, so you I'm have all this, into communism now. I'm ready. This, this double tenth agreement is what it's called, and the double tenth stands for t- like 10, 10, 19, 21 was when oh, they... 11. Oh, 1911, sorry. Mm-hmm. That was when the Qing dynasty fell. That's how I, I looked right. it up, how Back to pronounce in, it, and uh-huh. it's Qing. Oh, good. Because <laughs> so I didn't look up any of these. So they they had this double tenth agreement, (laughs) and the Communist Party officially recognizes that the Kuomintang are the legitimate leaders of China, and the Kuomintang recognized the Communist Party as a legitimate party. As a political party. And that lasts for roughly, you know, a couple months, a year maybe, and then full-on civil war again. So what I find as I do this research is I would say the Chinese people are a very proud people and demand respect. Like respect is paramount in the way they view things. And when they're offended, everything falls apart. So I I can't help but see that as a theme that if someone's offended, they're like, well, then never mind. Like, I'm not going to be your friend kind of a thing. It, there really does seem to be something like that. And, mm-hmm. and if you read some of their modern stuff, 
they do kind of they have that same sort of mentality and then a lot of their stuff they're kind of pushing at you to be like you, you know you have to if you don't do this you're not respecting me sort yes. of thing and so i think there is a lot of that mentality but you break out into the civil war between the communists and the nationalist party mm-hmm. that goes on until 1949 now prior to world war ii the nationalists were really the ones who had all the power all the weapons all the whatever well, after World War II, the Russians had taken Manchuria. They hand over all the Japanese surrendered weapons to the communists. The communists also picked up a lot of support from the Chinese people during World War II because they actually are said to have like fought harder and better against the Japanese. So huh. a lot of people uh, kind of became more pro-communist after World War II. So they get more support from people and they get more weapons and now they're actually the dominant force. And who are they getting these weapons from? So the Russians are the ones the who hand Soviet Union, yes. over, <laughs> yeah, the Soviets. They hand them over from because they had taken Manchuria and taken all the mm-hmm. Japanese weapons. So they hand all of those over to the Communist Party. To the Communist Party in China and the Communist Party in Korea. Which, yeah, is, is newly forming right around yes. this time. So the Korean War starts in 1950, but the Republic of China loses to the People's Republic of China's Communist Party in 1949. Yeah, so 1949. So this is all kind of happening at the same time, and yeah. Mao Zedong becomes the leader of the... And I gotta be honest, I'm not really sure how their leadership is set up, because I know he's like the supreme person, but I don't know... I don't really know, like... <laughs> there, There's a lot more to the Communist Party probably yeah. than just him, but I don't know it either. Well, because they because kind it, of seem to do it based on your political party instead of, because, instead of your actual position. Like, he's the leader of the political party, so he's in charge, kind of a thing, is what it seems like to me. And I know I'm missing something, but anyway, he's in charge. <laughs> Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao is in charge. One thing that I thought was interesting, too, is in 1949, after the communists take power, the U.S. releases what ends up being called the China White Paper, where they talk about, here's why we didn't go intervene. And here's why. Yes. And it's basically just kind of the. Look, it wasn't our business. Yeah. They're they're saying, hey, look, it's not our, our business. We did help out the nationalists. We gave them in today what would be about 16 billion dollars worth of um, equipment and we sold it to them for like a quarter of the you know price sort of thing uh we told the you know leading party you're not going to win in a war against the communists you shouldn't try to but they wouldn't listen so the u.s is kind of puts out this paper saying you know here's here's why our involvement was what it was because people are basically this is the start of kind of that Cold War. People are afraid of communism at this point. Yeah. And so they're kind of saying, hey, look, this is why we didn't do anything. Well, because it's the domino effect that they were yep. talking about, where one country falls and the next country falls and the next country falls. And as we enter into the Korean War, I'm like, I think the only reason we entered in is because we were trying to stop the domino oh, effect. Oh, for sure. Because Be- there's no other reason. <laughs> I mean, the 
one of the reasons that you can say is, is that what happens with that Korean War is the United Nations steps in to try and put a government in for Korea. And it says, hey, hey we'll help you form a government since you're essentially a, a new country at this point. Yeah. Japan had you know, been you know, ruling you. You're a new country. They don't have any we'll of their help own you put this government in. And Russia or the Soviets say, uh-uh. No, because the Soviet is not. Soviets are not participating in the UN at this point. No, they so they just out say so far, so fast after that war ended. Yeah, you're, World War II. You're not doing that, and in the north, we'll put our own. You know, and they put a communist force in in the north. That communist force then invades the south, and it marches down all the way till there's just like one city down on the coast that isn't controlled by the communists. And that's when the United States shows up. Yes. And I have some information about that that was top secret and has been declassified. So General MacArthur comes in and is put in the southern portion of Korea. And then he starts moving past the 38th parallel. And this freaks out China. This is what makes China really upset at the United States at this time. But um, and they start entering into the war on the side of North Korea because the United States passed the 38th parallel. Anyway, (laughs) MacArthur has a a what would you call it? Transmission of some kind, a note, what a telegraph that says, yes, absolutely. Go past the 38th parallel. But they were like, no, I don't know why he did that. (laughs) But it has since been declassified. He, he also suggested that we start dropping nuclear weapons. On yeah, and he was he was canceled for that. <laughs> he was re, he was put out of his job in 1951 because he was going against what the United States had said. But it is kind of interesting because in that Korean War, you had the the North invades the South, the U.S. And, and and the United Nations, this was not just the U.S., this was a United Nations uh, endeavor. They come in and they help the South, and like you said, they move up past that 38th parallel, and they push almost all the way to China. And then the uh, you know Chinese forces, North Korean forces start pushing back, and eventually they just, at that 38th parallel, they just sit there and, you know, hammer against each other for... You know, quite some time before they finally just say, you know, all right, here's the deal. North Korea, South Korea, they're different countries. You stay over there, we'll stay over here. And that's kind of how they solve that conflict. But Well, at this time, China's people, the people in China hate Americans because Americans have crossed over that 38th parallel and they yeah, think they they're coming the, for like, us. Yeah, they call it like the American War of like American Aggression. Oh, is funny. what they call it, which is hilarious to me because I think, you know, the North invaded the South, <laughs> took it down, took them down to like, till they're literally just one city left that their, those forces remained in before the United States show up. The United States comes in, pushes back, does kind of the same thing and push, and then they're like, oh, aggressors. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. And I just think the aggressor seems like a odd word for, <laughs> for that, but. But it was so bad in China that any Americans that were there left because they were being treated so poorly. But in 19, oh, I'm sorry, 1950, so Taiwan is where all of the people who had been government leaders 
before the communists took over, went to exile yep. in Taiwan. And this is where the whole Taiwan shift happens, where where it breaks off in its own way because you had the, the Republic of China, and when it became communist, it became the People's Republic of China. But the Republic of China people went to Taiwan, which is just the name of the island. Their country that they claim now is the Republic of China. So they go over there and the communists are angry at America and they start threatening to take Taiwan back from the people like, I'm sorry, from the Republic of China. Yes, (laughs) because this gets back to the whole they think, you know, China, the one China, you know, sort of policy yes, that they talk about China today, they're policy, saying Taiwan is part is, of us and we won the Civil War. And the Republic of China is like, well, you didn't beat us and we're over here. Mm-hmm. We're the official government. You haven't stomped out the official government of China. We are the official government. So they, they're basically saying to the world, we still are the official government of all of China, mm-hmm. not just Taiwan where they forced us to. But all of China. But President Truman sends the Seventh Fleet to the Taiwan Strait. And what the Seventh Fleet is, it is it is their aircraft carriers. It is their huge gunner ships. It is all of their big ships in the area. And they just set them in the, in the Taiwanese Strait as a show of, no, you're not. I got a good quote that. for that, too. Because this is one that I... Yay! So, so <laughs> you know, and, and it's interesting. So that he calls it Formosa, which is Taiwan. Uh, I don't know why it was called Formosa. I don't know that history. But in his quote, he says, Accordingly, I have ordered the 7th Fleet to prevent any attack on Formosa. As a corollary corollary of this action, I am calling upon the Chinese government forces on Formosa to cease all air and sea operations against the mainland. The 7th Fleet will see that this is done. So they're not just Mm. there to protect Taiwan. They're there to stop Taiwan because... This is the official government. They have all the the tanks and the planes and the boats, and the communists is a peasant revolution. They took all of those to Taiwan? They took whatever they could to Taiwan. And so they have the military strength of, you know, the planes and the boats and the whatever, and they're doing blockades and not letting ships come in. So they're stopping them both from hurting each other. And so the the U.S. is, like, stopping, you know, Taiwan from attack because Taiwan is... They're still in a civil war to them. They're, uh, it's not over. <laughs> yeah, it's not over. But the U.S. is saying, you know, all right, you two, Inter- separate. I'm glad you said that because I had thought it was the communists that were more The communists aggressive. were doing aggression right. and, and were trying to get in, but sides. it was both sides. Because They're still day, having their civil war, essentially. And whoa. the U.S. is kind of just trying to break it up and say, you know, all right, none of this. None of this. And this continues on because you have the first Taiwan Strait crisis that happens um, in 1954. So you, I think that they have sent the Seventh Fleet over in that area three times is yeah. what I think has happened. And so the Seventh Fleet stayed there from 50 to 54 and was still there in 54. Oh, <laughs> it stayed there the whole time? I, I mean, I don't know how the refueling works, but yes. They, well, they had South Korea. They had they were places. they were there the entire time essentially. Wow. And and China, or Japan, they got bases in Japan and other stuff. So they were yeah. there uh, the entire time. So in 1954, the People's Republic of China goes there. 
there's a bunch of small islands besides the big island of Taiwan. Yes, there's which is what I think right, Formosa is. I think it's the cluster of islands, of but of I don't really know. And I don't know either. There's so many other things I didn't but care the about. the People's <laughs> Republic of China invades one of the Republic of China's held islands. Yes. And that kind of... Two. Two, two of, them. of them. Yes, two mm-hmm. of them. And, and that's what kind of starts the, the first Taiwan Strait crisis. And it's, it's kind of interesting because they just started shelling them all, from what it seems like out of nowhere. You know, I don't know if they had any kind of anything else. But um, the Formosa Revolu- Resolution was approved by the U- U.S. Congress and allowed Dwight Eisenhower to defend the Republic of China and its positions. Now, this is relevant because, number one, it's Dwight Eisenhower, who is the domino effect guy, who is like, just doesn't want communist influences, hates communism. And this is, as, as time progresses, where we make, as the United States, agreements to protect Taiwan. You'll see that coming as, as the time comes. But this is about where you have Dwight D. Eisenhower not wanting communism. I mean, that's why we entered Korea. That's why we are <laughs> helping you see it Taiwan. In Yes. So that what they signed, they call it the Mutual Defense Treaty. Mm -hmm. And so what they're saying, and this is, here's a quote from that, is the parties separately and jointly by self-help and mutual aid will maintain and develop their individual and collective capacity to resist armed attack and communist subversive activities. Mm -hmm. So they're saying, even, even if you try subversive things, but armed attack, the U.S. will come in and aid Taiwan. Yes, because this is, and this is still what we are under. Yes. Which is why in the future, as we get there, there is issue with China and the United States regarding Taiwan. It's because of this very treaty signed right here. And I was talking to my husband, and I was like, I wonder if we just were like, never mind. (laughs) But I'll have to explain why when I get to my tinfoil hat ideas in the future. So before we, they have that first crisis, then there's a second Taiwan mm-hmm. crisis in 1958. And that second Taiwan crisis, the, that one, there's full-on air warfare going on. And 31 People's Republic of Chinese, you know, MiGs, the Russian bought air force, are shot down by Whoa. U.S. supplied Air Force by the Republic of China. And the only thing that I really found interesting with that is that that was the um, the first time air-to-air missiles were used, the, the U.S. Sidewinder missiles. So the, the one side had a huge advantage. They had these air-to-air missiles, and the Republic of China Air Force, backed by the U.S., just clobbered the People's Republic of China Air Force, backed by the Soviets, but unfortunately, they shot a missile into one plane, and it didn't blow up. And so that plane went back, and they reverse-engineered the oh, missile, no. and then they got missiles. <laughs> but this is an interesting time, too, because there's um, the, the rumor that the Americans were saying that they did this is because they wanted to see, they wanted to test the Americans' reaction to what was going to happen regarding their previous treaty and the the area. Yeah. But also at this time, just a few years before the second invasion or the second crisis, uh, Mao 
starts to get mad at USSR because you have um, so Stalin, Stalin dies in 1953 dies. dies and then Khrushchev takes over and Khrushchev like makes a comment about Stalin and he's like I denounce what he did yeah he has and... what called the secret speech <laughs> yes and he denounces <laughs> Stalinism and calls it a cult of personality and a bunch of other things and says hey we're gonna do better than that and Mao is like Mao's pissed I'm the Stalin over here you yeah know, like I, this is you're essentially um, making my position less powerful yes. and you're, it has it's an effect the over insults. here they cannot handle being insulted at this time. And, of- and it's such an interesting thing to call it an insult because they don't say anything about Mao. They don't know do anything. But it's, just it's taken as... The, the type of leadership that he is and the type of uh, communist regime they have set up. But, but because of this, Mao starts to distance itself from the USSR, which will play in as time goes on as well. But, Another thing that I thought was interesting is they got some Chinese documents from around this 1958 where they're talking about this Taiwan Strait crisis mm-hmm. and they're talking, Taiwan is talking about whether they even want the U.S. involved and they say, yes, we're going to use, yes. they call it the noose policy and we're going to keep the U.S. involved because what it does is it uh, spends all of the U.S. resources, they have to spend all this money trying to help out Taiwan and it pulls them away from other parts of the world and oh, if they leave, they're gonna place. look. They're gonna look bad, but it also helps our people. Like he was saying, you know, having the U.S. Uh, around helps us out. It helps out our, you know, people. It motivates them. Our construction is better. Our military gets built up better. I All know. this stuff gets built that up better by having the thing. U.S. as an adversary. This is if you go back and look at any of these wars that the United States have been in with other people. Oftentimes, after the conflict is over and the United States has put in tons of money for infrastructure and for weapons and for training, those people will then turn on another group of people with their bigger power and then attack the other people and the United States will have to come in and do the same thing with the other side. I mean, this is just a joke, but I wouldn't be surprised if the United States has like funded most of the wars on accident. (laughs) Because you say accident. <laughs> no, because like when they go in and I see this now, and we'll talk about it now, where they go in and they give all of this money and infrastructure and bases and weapons and, you know, communications. And it's on somebody else's sovereign soil, which means yep. as soon as they're done, they're done. And they take that and turn it in a different direction and use it against someone else. And Oh. So here's the tinfoil hat version of why I say on accident. I know, I had to stop myself. It's, it's, uh, the U.S. is like, here, we got all these weapons and tanks and whatever, and you can, you know, we'll help you out. Oh, now this other side, hey, lucky, we, we supply people with tanks and guns, and so we, we always have it. a customer. <laughs> but we don't, do they pay for it? I don't know who, who necessarily like pays for, pay it, for it. But here's the thing, the it does it's not. The people who make the tanks and planes do not pay for it. (laughs) We, as taxpayers, pay for it. I got to tell you. But anyway. I got a lot of tinfoil hats towards the end of this. So so I'm excited about this. So we'll move on. Um, We don't need to get into (laughs) that level of, you know, tinfoil hat. We'll we'll hijack the entire discussion. So 
Uh, we had that second Taiwan Strait crisis. Right. And here we, you know, are dealing with the chief of staff is threatening to defend the islands with nuclear weapons again. 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 And I can't blame them in the sense that it ended the war so abruptly that they're probably just like, knock it off. Stop it. Yep. We're going we're gonna to end this. You <laughs> Don't know? make me turn this car around. <laughs> I'll but drop nukes on you so fast you won't know what hit you. This actually ended fairly mildly. Like yeah. it was it was just kind of like and that's one of the reasons why I think they think it was a test is cuz they were like, "Oh, I see there was a response." Mild like they yeah. just sort of dried up, you know. Um but then we hit the 58 era, which we're still I guess that's the same time and Mao is like, "Hey, we got to have reform." We need greater food and steel and iron output. And he forces everyone in the country into communes. Am I skipping too far over? No, it's just a different <laughs> section for me. But oh, this okay. is my favorite stuff. Oh, good. <laughs> so the government, you know, is telling the people that everything's lovely, even though everybody is starving and having terrible outcomes and the metal work isn't coming fast enough. It's not being done properly. And it almost led to the entire collapse of the China's economy by 1962. Yeah, they call it the Great Leap Forward is what Mao called yeah. it. And he, what he did is he pulled all the farmers and said, you know, hey, we're going to industrialize. So what we'll do is we'll put the commune in communism and we'll make these, you know, farms that, will, you know, a bunch of you will work together in commune style. So mm -hmm. you don't know, individuals don't farm anymore. You work on the commune, and then we'll take the excess people and we'll put them to work in factories. And don't forget, they have not had their industrial revolution until, yeah. the, until the 80s. And, and so, they, they don't do this well. No. The, the metal they make is garbage. Uh -huh. they, they, they are not, um, th this isn't going well for them. But like you were saying, people starve because what happens is they, you know, took all these farmers away. But the, the corruption is what kills them because cause Mao says, you guys have to make this much food. You know, these are the quotas. And nobody wants to go against the quota. So everybody says, yep, we made the quota. None of them make the quota, but nobody is willing to say oh, they no. don't make it. So the people at the top are like, yep, we're doing great. Because that's what the information that they're being fed is mm -hmm. that things are going well, but everybody's lying because they're afraid of what happens if they say, we didn't make enough food. So in the USSR, around a similar time, they're having a same issue, but because if they have a quota, they are taking everything from other people to make sure they fill the quota. So everybody's like, but, but then there's none left, you know, and so they're not passing it out properly and yeah. distributing it fairly. And so people are starving even though they are farming in their own fields. Like, yeah, most of the food ends up going to the cities. Yeah. Because that's where the people in power are, and you don't want to not give them their food. No, and you know that there, if there's corruption, there's probably corruption up there as well. I want extra. I, I should have extra kind of things another, is what I assume. Another thing that I found interesting is that they had their own version of the gulags called the Lao Gai. Ah. And, and the, the, the Lao Gai meant reform through labor. Oh, no. And so, uh, they, you know, anybody who was... Uh, dissenting would get uh, a chance to reform themselves. That's, wow. And they also had something. Did it work? That, uh, <laughs> Did the it worked for the work? people in charge. <laughs> like, 
they there's a lot less descent when you have gulags around. They also did something called the Hundred Flowers campaign, and the uh, uh, here's the quote: "Is the policy of letting a hundred flowers bloom and a hundred schools of thought contend is designed to promote the flourishing of the arts and the progress of science?" So what he does is he says, "Hey, everybody." Give us your best criticisms and tell us what we should do different. And then anybody who speaks up goes to the gulag. So so it's literally just a ruse to get people Ah. to come in. And in my head, I think, I've seen this myself. (laughs) Please tell us how our, you know, tell Ah. us how our company is (laughs) doing. Give us some feedback. Like, I I have a new appreciation for some of this stuff, but my... (laughs) My favorite appreciation of the fact that it sucked, not appreciation of the tactic. Well, the tactic <laughs> can be effective, but it sucks. But my favorite Mao quote, if we have shortcomings, we are not afraid to have them pointed out and criticized because we serve the people. So on a platter. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who criticizes gets sent away, gets Sent away would be the best thing that could happen to you. Yes, because I am not alive in the 1950s. And I know you do not criticize the Chinese government as a Chinese national. And <laughs> and, and it even gets kind of worse. So this is in the this 50s. How it happened. And, and the, in the, the, what they end up calling the cultural revolution ends up happening in the 60s. But another quote, you know, that he says after this hundred flowers things is, you know, after everybody gives their uh, feedback, he's like, oh, there's poisonous weeds in the flowers. We got to take care of those. So uh, 400,000 to 700,000 people who are in the party get uh, some reform. They get reformed through labor. Can you imagine? And this is where it pulls back that theory. I mean, that theory I have that they're just so easily offended and and demand respect and they you know if you offend them then you have you know to to deal with consequences not necessarily of course as we see a free speech state yeah Uh, very very interesting because and they don't put this up that when they get to the cultural revolution they have Mao's little red book and it essentially becomes it's like scripture over there and if you mishandle the little red book you get disciplined if you put it in your back pocket and you sit down you get disciplined if you misquote it you get disciplined It, it becomes this really big thing and it's just a bunch of his quotes from like previous speeches all put together that you are supposed to carry around all party members are supposed to be carrying this book around almost at all times and it becomes this really weird thing, the little red book. But it has, and, and one of my quotes that I really like, like, communism is not love. Communism is a hammer which we use to crush the enemy. I wish that people would think of this now. Because I think now, if you watch that communist um, group where they're like, excuse me, I told you not oh. to clap your hands. <laughs> Excuse me, I have a lot of people who don't like the, you know, did you? I know the video you're talking about, and it is hilarious. It is so funny. Comrades, we've asked you not to use gender-specific language. And I'm like, that's because I think they're trying to make this fairness of love. And that is 
and that's truly not what communism that's not has what it ever was. been. Yeah, ever. You might find a commune that does this, right? You're not going to find communism. No. Yeah, and his other quote, you know, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun. Good grief! Or it's true. Change in some must ways. come through the barrel of a gun. Those are like Ugh. the quotes that I recall with that. But but at the time, you know, everyone's. Every, the whole world is scared. You've got the non-communists afraid of the communists. You've got the opposite afraid of the opposite. And everybody's nervous. And so you want whoever's powerful to be in charge of you. And so here's this guy. We're in the middle of the Cold War. There's lots of whatever happening when it comes to, um, I don't know really what the environment was like on the news in China. I imagine they had a lot of things that came out of Mao's mouth I was going to say, their news, I think, is all just official propaganda. Mm -hmm. And so I imagine everyone's scared, and they just want a strong leader. And he was a... You can't say he wasn't a strong leader. And and I think there's two parts to that, too, is that you're scared if there's a strong leader, you you don't want to stand up to the strong leader. So it's not even necessarily that's what you want. It's that you know... There are consequences to not jumping on board. Yes, especially after yeah the hundred flowers, the hundred flowers incidents, and then they get into the this cultural revolution, which happens in the sixties. So the cultural revolution, they they kind of um, they pick like a bunch of categories of people: it, it's landlords, rich farmers, counter revolutionaries, bad influencers, right wingers. Uh, and they just essentially just start attacking them. They have a group of youth that they call the Red Guard. So these kids get dressed up in like uniforms and go around and try and um, beat and humiliate people into submission. Oh no! And they it they like a million people get killed essentially. Like these aren't people starving. When you, when you talk about the Great Leap Forward, 30 million people starve to death. And that's an estimate. Some people put it higher, some people put it lower, but I think the general consensus is somewhere around 30 million. Uh, but during the Cultural Revolution, like a million people are, are like physically killed. Others are essentially, they, they do kind of the concept of like pillaring people. So they get a bunch of people, surround somebody, and... Uh, humiliate them until... Is that what pillaring is? I don't know. So the pillaring, that was where they would put the people in the little wooden thing. You got your head and your arms stuck through the wood and you're in the public square and everybody gets to throw stuff at you and say stuff to you and there's nothing you can do. Because the worst, one of the worst things you can be is offended. Yeah. And lose your respect. So you are humiliated. You are humiliated. And and they just and they have what they call I mean I don't know that they called them but they're called struggle sessions so they just surround people and they just humiliate them until they you know until they submit essentially is this a verbal humiliation in some cases so they would put um, the, you're fat and your hair's ugly they they would make some people wear uh, <gasps> like goofy hats like that essentially says you know. Like dunce, a dunce cap. A dunce cap. They're, they're putting people in dunce caps, and then, you know, you have to sit there and wear that until we say you can leave. 
Wow. So, and, and there were like physical assaults. There were all sorts of things going on. And they also, at this time, destroy a lot of their old culture because they're the new Yeah, you're, China. they're switching out. Yeah, they like, don't want the old. The old China got humiliated, so it's no, no good anymore. Whoa. So they destroy a whole bunch of like historical buildings and art at this time. I find this so fascinating because this is so terrible. Yeah. It it is crazy to me and they end up acknowledging that. Like once one, so Chairman Mao dies in like 1976 and that kind of puts an end to the cultural revolution. And the people who came in after him were like, "Well, that was a mistake." They gave him the letter about how he was like Stalin, didn't he? And they, then, like, Khrushchev was like, did. hey, Stalin's nuts. And they're so, like, hey, Mao's nuts. <laughs> Deng Xiaoping, who ends up being essentially the president for a while uh, from, like, 78 to 89. So this was his quote about, you know, and, and, and they're a lot more respectful because the, the, they this got is his quote. The crap is, you know, in the evening ever. of his life, particularly during the Cultural Revolution, he made mistakes which brought misfortunes upon our party, our state, and our people. Wow. And that's about as critical as they really are. But but they're pretty, like, they, they acknowledge that this cultural revolution was kind of a terrible thing. Wow. But there's also more going on. So this is happening in the 60s. In 1964, China gets its first nuclear weapon. Yes, which is which is funny because they were the last one... Um, the last major power to have a nuclear weapon, and but they were included in the nuclear talks that were after World War II because they were considered a major power. Yeah, so that happens like right around the same time that the U.S. gets involved in Vietnam, and I have no idea whether that played a role and you know changed any behaviors from the U.S. Oh, or whatever. Interesting, I hadn't but thought of that. I hadn't thought of that either. Like, I know at the time. So in the 60s, I know that um, China officially quits liking the USSR, which takes a lot of its uh, fear away from the United States. Kennedy tries to become friends with China, but he then is assassinated. (laughs) Uh, But the Vietnam War does break out. Um, In Vietnam, it's in 1964, yes? So that's when the U.S. got involved, but like, you oh, had those Indochina wars that had been going on for a That's long right. time. Get my but in up. 1964 is when the Gulf of Tonkin incident happens, and that's when the U.S. gets involved, and that's when it escalates. And that was another one where the Chinese, they sent in like 320,000 troops, but they denied it until like the like late 80s or something. Oh, wow. And then they were like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we did, okay. <laughs> but initially they're like, oh, no, we never sent anybody. And I, I believe that most of them were in support roles, like... Um, in the background? Yeah, like, we'll help build roads and we'll help do this, and, and they're not necessarily fighting. So they they do, they also contributed, you like... You do find that China doesn't front line almost anything. Yeah, when and they they'll, go and they'll they help, flat they out almost, deny it. Like, yeah. it's like the balloon incident sort of thing. Yeah, why'd you shoot down our balloon, Yeah, it's a jerks. weather balloon. Like, I, why would you break our technology that's invading your airspace... And we would do the same. <laughs> yeah. And and then they just, yeah, it's a weather balloon, obviously. And it turns out, it, well, we captured it. And we know that it's not, but. But now we have your technology. <laughs> so. And they're like, that's fine. We stole it from you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They did say some of the parts are from America. And, and they, 
there's a huge history of them oh, stealing technology. Tech, yeah, because that's the big thing. As you enter into the 2010s, it's that's where we, and especially with Trump, when things start lighting up, like the ignition point to whatever's going on with China and the United States right now, it kind of pinnacle points on the fact that China's been stealing technology. But in 1969, the USSR and the and China start to have a conflict at their own border. And so Nixon is like, hey, I want to join China's side because Nixon's just been put in as president, brand new. And he's like, I want to join China's side because we hate the USSR and yep. it's the Cold War and we want China on our side. But it, we don't. Well, How, because of this, you know, the what they call the Sino-Soviet split or whatever and this yes. fight that they're having along their borders, which... Uh, it's a it's a legit fight. Like seventy people die from each side. Yes. Like they it's said, like, like tens of thousands of artillery are fired. Yes, but like they're it, fighting. It's, it's a legit fight. It's a real conflict. Um, but because of that, the uh, Chinese are now open to talking right. to the U.S. Because at this point, Mao hasn't died, and the, and the the yeah. Soviet Union is like no. Oh. Keep your keep your crazy dictator out of our country. Ah, oh, that's so funny. They scare themselves with their own leadership, and, and that's a bigger conflict even than I understood. So they're fighting over these islands that are in this river where the territory is drawn. Mm-hmm. But apparently, back in the Opium War sort of days, Russia had taken a, a bunch of like 130 miles of territory from. China going up to that river and so China's like well you're not getting the islands and Russia's like well they're just as much ours as yours so they end up fighting about them but I think (laughs) China's pretty they they weren't trying to get back that original land but they're I think pretty upset thinking this is one of the unfair you know treaty things you know you abused us when we were weak and you know we're not weak anymore well, in 1971, an interesting thing happened called ping pong diplomacy. So the U.S. table tennis player was at a competition in Japan, and he ends up riding on the Chinese team bus. All of a sudden, the Chinese people love America. <laughs> Isn't that so nice? And they open their trade and travel restrictions to China for the United States. Because this guy got on a bus with the Chinese team, because, you know, how you show yourself and what you do and respect and honor and and family name, like all those things matter so much that just by this guy being like, sure, I'll ride with the Chinese team, they're like, whoa. Yeah, and they, they invite the U.S. table tennis team into China, and they go, and then the U.S. invites the Chinese table tennis team to the U.S. and they go and it starts oh, yeah. this kind of happy for the first time in 20 years yeah it, it, for the first time in 20 years they because this guy and Henry Kissinger had made a secret trip and to be honest I think it happened after the ping pong situation but I because he's kind of yeah I don't know the timeline either coming in I don't really remember for sure but I think it was after but they're starting to just like be okay because of this one guy who didn't, I mean, yeah. in America, for all you Chinese people who are listening, <laughs> it doesn't matter to us. If you're a nice person, 
it's fine. Like if we don't we don't show our feelings that yeah. way, but they because they do. It was such a big thing for them. And, and for a lot of people, it's you know that guy is really nice. Not the entire country right. is you know mm-hmm. like that's representative of him, it's not a, everybody. Yes, but there is individual. kind of. But anyway, another thing happens in 1971. The United Nations votes yes. to have the People's, People's Republic of China Republic become of China. the official representative of China, and they kick the Republic of China, Taiwan, out. So there's this switch where the UN now recognizes the People's Republic of China mm-hmm. as the legit government of China. And that's the, quite a while. That was 1949 that Mao got put in. Yeah. And now it's 1971. So and, that's and keep quite in a mind, bit. the United States has not officially recognized they do not officially recognize them until 1979 but in 1972 nixon does go to nixon china goes to china and he does meet with mao and they talk about how much they hate the soviet union and how and i quote my notes on this the u.s has intentions to withdraw its military from taiwan yep. so that they can try to quote and unquote normalize relations between the people's republic of china and the u.s so the United States has that treaty with Taiwan still, but here Nixon says, but we're going to pull out our military from Taiwan. Yeah. And they, it's really interesting because one of the, you can say what you want about like Nixon, his, his um, terms, uh, they have the most documents that are available for people to read. I think like you can go read. That's because nobody had any honor for him because he had, <laughs> I, and I, it might have reputation. been kind of a, you know, like, fine, you know, I'll That's release right. everything. He I was don't a bad care. guy in but some ways, so here. You can go read <laughs> all his conversations that he has with these people, which which he tells them, you know, like, this is top secret. Nobody outside of this room will ever know. And then all of a sudden, you know, I get to read about it however many years later. In 1979, though, this is so interesting because the U.S. and China – begin a most favored nation tariff status. So 1979 is when they acknowledge that the People's Republic of China exists. But then they sign the Taiwanese Relations Act, where they commit to provide military and, quote, other support. And it includes trade relations, too. So it allows Taiwan to sue and be sued in the U.S. courts. But I, I think that, you know, you've got them saying, hey, People's Republic of China you are a most favored nation when it comes to trade. And hey, Taiwan, well, <laughs> it just becomes really confusing. And I want to remember these dates to remind these dates for what's happening currently. The Taiwanese government was exiled to Taiwan in 1949. Remember that for now. Because it is, oh, it makes me angry. <laughs> Yeah, and it's very interesting because, like you said, in 1979, uh, the U.S. officially recognizes the People's Republic of China and then immediately goes in and and becomes, you know, but Taiwan, we're still going to be super friendly with you. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't really recognize you you. as your own country, but we'll still protect you. You know, like nobody will, if, if anybody brings force against you, we will sell you weapons, you know, like all sorts of things. We're still maintaining this relationship In the House Bill, in the 96th Congress, House Bill 2479, if you read that, it is 
where they say that they're going to provide their military support. But it also says something in it. Um, it's really weird when you get into these things because you get really offended at the way China does something. And then in the bill, it's like, and we're going to do these kind of things too. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, oh. And it even there's one that comes up later on in the 90s, I think, that I was like, and it's like, and we will do any surveillance we want. Maybe it was in the 2000s. Yeah, so the, uh, after Nixon goes to Taiwan, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting is in 1984, Taiwan starts, you know, participating in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And in they, they also later in like 2002, they join the World Trade Organization. So they're still acting like their own independent you know, country, uh-huh. and sometimes people will kind of let them and encourage them. Yes. And so they get, they're allowed to compete in the Olympics as they're not allowed to compete as Taiwan or the Republic of China. They participate as Chinese Taipei, and they have, they don't fly a Chinese flag. They fly their own, you know, Chinese Taipei flag, but it's not the Republic of China right. flag. So they're doing their best to maintain that they are their own country while China is doing and their best to say is, that they are not their own, and anybody who says they are is, you know. Which is exactly what China did. The Communist Party did that. Yeah. <laughs> they took over a country. They said they were in charge. They waited 35 years to be relevant. Here's Taiwan saying they're in charge. They're waiting 35 years to say that they're relevant. And no, we won't allow you to, you know, and I'm like, Does, do people get to say that to you? Because literally it is the exact same thing. Like you took over, they took over. Like, yeah. But in, in 82, in 1982, the United States agrees in the third communique to reduce the number of arms they sell to Taiwan because, and China agrees to aim toward a peaceful resolution with Taiwan as is obviously very effective to this day. And this is when Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States, and he assured Taiwan that they would still help. And this is where Deng Xiaoping says the one country, two system rule. So this is where he brings that up, which later, when Xi becomes president, or Xi... When the current president of China becomes president, where he's like, no, one nation, one system, which comes. Yeah, that comes into play Mm -hmm. with like current things because his big thing is kind of the Putin of China. He wants wants it to be, you know, communist. He wants everyone old land to be whatever. But I noticed they're not giving away East Turkmenistan or whatever it was <laughs> that they took in World War Two. They're not given. They're not given East Turkmenistan or Mekistan or whatever back. But they sure want their stuff back. Yeah, I don't think that there's a logic to a lot of these sort no, of decisions. Whatever works it, it really for is them. just kind of power. You know, whatever we can get is, is what we want. But I did kind of want to go back to kind of well i guess we're kind of in the 80s right we're now. in the 80s so the 80s is, is essentially and i think it starts in 78 but in the 80s really is when china opens up their country to foreign markets and they let private industry in and that's really when their economy 
starts to change. So it in it, it's under Deng Xiaoping is he kind of changes policy because under the communist sort of, you know, if you go to true communism, people don't own things. Only the state owns things. Yeah. And so now he's at this system where he's saying, Okay, let's let's let other people, you know, help us out. You know, we'll let these private industries come in and as the private industries come in, they do very well and the and it really starts boosting that's when china's economy starts to grow and when they actually do start to become industrialized so in the 80s their economic growth starts yes. skyrocketing and you find that there's very little aggression towards international countries at this time like they're not offended they're not upset they're not aggressive nobody's aggressive at them at this time the 80s are kind of a quiet time when it comes to international things. However, <laughs> yeah, maybe not so much for inside the country. Yeah, they end up having, so the Tiananmen Square incident, I mean, it, we think of it as an incident. This is a long thing that happened in China. And part of the issue that, the way that I could tell is that communism was kind of a peasant revolution. And they were the people they were mad at were the rich, people. the rich upper class mm-hmm. people, and a lot of those are the educated people. So you end up with this educated class that's going to universities saying, "All right, well, what you know, what about us? You know, what do you want us to do?" And they don't know that you know they want to go out and get good jobs and do things, and they feel like they're being held back. And so this Tiananmen Square is a lot of college students who are worried about their place in communism and how they fit in. So they start having protests saying, hey, you know, you're curbing all our speech and we don't know what we're going to do, you know, when we get out of college. They have a bunch of issues that they bring up, you know, censorship. You're not, you know, we can't, we don't have a free press. We can't say things. We can't do things. So they start, it's a, starts with like a hunger strike and they hundreds of thousands of people show up it spreads to all these other colleges uh but it ultimately culminates to this thing you know the people's republic of china is like we can't just let them keep doing this they got hundreds of thousands of people who are protesting and they've essentially taken over this you know tiananmen square where they've been camping out for months so they bring in the army and they bring in like 80,000 troops and tanks and there's you know on June 4th there's a million protesters who meet up with these tanks and army you know people and there's that famous you know photo of like the one guy the video standing in front of the tank and the tank tries to move around him and he steps in front of the tank And, and it makes it seem like this is just you know a few people there there are millions of people there and you don't yeah, see those millions in that video, but you don't. He's representative you don't of ever it. see it. They yeah. don't have those. They don't have a lot of information on this. And if you go online in China to this day, you will get no information. You, about they this. don't. You don't talk about this. Tiananmen did not Square. happen according to them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that they acknowledge something you know happened because they can't hide it. But you don't talk about it. And think... what you talk about is. You know, 
the violent, you know, rioters. Well, because they shot. and Hundreds of people were yes, killed. Lots and lots. And, and thousands injured. Yes. And because this happened, America enacted economic sanctions on China. U.S. citizens were evacuated. And this is George H.W. Bush. But he keeps the lines of communication open with the with Beijing um, sends U.S. leaders over and say, hey, we're still going to have economic ties, but we have to do this because you did this, which, of course, makes China very upset. <laughs> uh, but then in 1991, they joined the Nonproliferation Treaty and the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation. And so you have China, Taiwan, and Hong Kong in these that are joining as separate economies, but not separate states. So they are individual economies in in these groups, which is so weird. But then in 1992, China calms down a bit at the fact that the U.S. did that, and they start to be friends again. And in 93, Clinton gives them most favored nation status again without making them have to follow human rights exemptions. So expectations, I mean. So before... A lot of, you know, if you weren't following human rights rules, they would take you off of trade things in. So Clinton says, hey, you don't have to do that. And then when they join some of these groups, they end up never having to do that again. It's not tied at all by whether or not. I think it's with the um, the Normal Trade Relations Act that Clinton signed in, in See? 2000. It, in I my think, opinion, with a lot of that is you, you become big enough and whatever. Oh, like it's the people, World Trade Organization. People don't want to, you know, like when you're a small fry, yeah. you, you can say, all right, you got to do this. But when you have such an industry that people cannot just dismiss you and be like, yeah, we're not going to trade with you, yeah, then, then they have to stop. It, it, and when they joined the World Trade Organization, China joined, uh, it made it illegal the U.S. to use trade sanctions against China over human rights issues. So it becomes an international law violation to use trade sanctions. And I think, I don't really understand how all of that works. It seems a little bit more complex than I realized, but I was really surprised about that. Yeah. Because that seems like a sovereignty issue. And and I totally get it. You know, like if you're, because one of the things that I think with China is that they do look back and say yeah we were abused and mm-hmm. we don't want to be abused anymore so we're going to do yeah, our name, thing name one nation that hasn't been abused no it, it i i don't <laughs> think that there really is i think everybody but i really do think that part of what they're trying to do to motivate their people is to say hey you know we were abused you know never again sort of thing and yeah. that's the motivation so if you take that motivation away from them i i think that that's what they're worried about is th- that they're going to lose what's motivating their you know citizens to be good citizens so i i don't think that it has you know anything to do with you know they're the only ones who were ever abused i think that that's right. just what they're using it, is and it's a big motto they've kept for themselves. But it, it's really interesting to me that they, this idea of them being, you know, communists, and then all of a sudden they open it up to markets and they start doing... And that's where they become having good things happen. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm totally convinced, like, they're not communists. 
No, they are and, fascists. And yes, and so same with the Soviet Union. Yeah, the Soviet They're Union not communist. is not communist mm-hmm. anymore. That, and, and part of the thing, and this is where I got into some weird things, but the the idea of like Marxism sort of thing was to have a revolution and take power and change things. Yeah, and and then to you know then. Once you change things, then you can change the government again to however you want. Well, one last thing before we wrap up this one is 1997, the British crown gives Hong Kong back to China. And Hong Kong then keeps with its two systems, one country. But Hong Kong has until 2047 to join back in 100% with China, which will come in. In our next episode. Yeah, that was the date they gave. But. <laughs> about, about other things. But thanks for joining us this time. And we will have one more where we finish up and talk about all of these good things. Yeah, we'll talk about current uh, relations. And, and tinfoil hat theories. So ooh. Ooh, join us. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.